Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual professional medical or mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, Kara Carincefeli of Kara's Kitchen. I'm a holistic health coach, published author, and online course creator. Before we dive into the interview today, I wanted to share a little something with you. So... As you guys know, I struggled with an eating disorder for a decade, and I remember what it was like to wake up each day and be consumed by thoughts of food. I was always thinking about like what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, or should I even eat at all. Often, I'd have a healthy breakfast and lunch only to come home and like literally binge the night away. I'd miss out on social events because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to control myself around the food, and even when I went... I was never fully present because I was so up in my head. I was constantly thinking about the food and what other people were eating or if they were looking at me. I was always worried that people were like looking at my body. I was like sucking in all the time. Also, like restaurant menus gave me anxiety and holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas were rarely pure fun. I was so insecure and typically freaking out about the food and like what I was going to wear and like all of the alcohol. I was always worried that it was going to be a blowout and typically it was. My mind and my life felt like they weren't my own and that was really no way for me to keep living. So I made the choice to get help, to get better, to take my mind back, my time back and my life back. Honestly, I can tell you it was the best decision I've ever made. So getting to the other side is so powerful that I have dedicated my life to helping others just like you get to it too. So if you're ready to truly heal because your life is about so much more than the struggle with food, then I am so excited to share with you about my brand new online course called Break Free from Binge Eating. So you've maybe heard me talk about this on Instagram, but it is so transformative and very healing to be a part of a group like this. So I will be administering it live this fall and enrollment is now open. The course officially begins October 15th and runs until November 17th. But if you enroll today, you get access to the entire course right away. Like right upon enrolling, you get access to everything. But group coaching calls will be starting the week of the 15th. So it's five weeks full of everything you need to heal your relationship with food, break free from binge eating, and free up all of the brain space currently occupied by food and micromanaging your body. So each week, there will be live group coaching calls, like I said, where I will be answering questions, helping you get unstuck if you are stuck, and providing accountability and lots of loving support. There's also a private Facebook group where you can go and connect with all of the other women in the course. And you have access to all of this for life. And there is nothing like it online, in my opinion. I teach you the science of why you keep falling off the wagon. I show you exactly how to get out of the diet binge cycle. I teach you intuitive eating and mindful eating skills. There are powerful lessons on mindset and perspective. So if you have spent a lot of time with me on Instagram, then you've likely heard me talk about how much 
our mindset matters and how it's not really about the food we eat. It's about what we think about the food we eat. So I really set you up powerfully to have a brand new perspective and relationship with food. And then there's an entire module on body image, which has been a very powerful module for several of my beta testers. So before releasing this live to you, I spent weeks conducting a beta test to make sure that the course was like absolutely ready for you, that all the kinks have been worked out and that it is truly going to help you stop the fight with food. So for those of you listening, I am offering a super special early bird pricing of $2.95 between today, October 3rd, and Sunday, October 7th. It goes back up to its full price on Monday, October 8th of $3.95. So if you've been thinking that it's time to free yourself up from the food obsession, then don't miss out on this opportunity. I will not be offering this course at this price ever again, and I won't be teaching it again until 2019. So I intentionally timed this course to end right before the holidays with the intention of you being able to be fully present with your family this holiday season, to not feel anxious about Thanksgiving, to be able to enjoy the food peacefully and normally, you know, to be able to go and have a really great time and not be so worked up and have anxiety around the holidays. Imagine not setting a New Year's resolution to diet ever again because you never feel like you've been bad or that you need to make up for the food that you've eaten. You guys, your life is about so much more than the struggle with food. So if you're really ready to dive in and to heal your relationship with food and your body, then I invite you to this course. I would love to have you in there. I I want to help you have a like vibrant, nourishing, uplifting, peaceful, no big deal type of relationship with food. And that is exactly what my course Break Free From Binge Eating will do for you. So if you're interested, you can go to www.caras-kitchen.teachable.com. That's C-A-R-A-S-dash or hyphen kitchen k-i-t-c-h-e-n dot teachable t-e-a-c-h-a-b-l-e dot com and I will have the link for this into the show notes so again you guys there's a special early bird pricing from today October 3rd until October 7th the price goes back up on Monday so now is your chance like get in there quick don't miss out on this opportunity and with further ado let's dive into the podcast Today, we have a really awesome guest on. Her name is Danielle Delavelli. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner and the author of a book called Happy Weight. And I really adore Danielle. She's really intelligent, super down to earth, and just kind of has this like take it or leave it attitude. She's super comfortable and confident with who she is, and it's really refreshing to be around women who have this relationship with themselves. In the episode, we talk about her book, Happy Weight, and while I was editing the episode, I realized that I never really asked her to define what happy weight means. So I want to read you what she sent me. I followed up with her and was like, oh no, like send me what happy weight means. So I'm going to read to you her definition right now, and I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind when we do dive into the interview and we do talk about her book. So in her own words, happy weight is not a diet. It's a state of consciousness achieved when we pursue loving ourselves and our bodies to the fullest extent. To love yourself is to be free from judgment of others. Finding your happy weight is a state of body freedom. Ugh, perfect, right? Don't we all want to find our happy weight? 
So just keep that definition in mind when you're listening to the interview so that you have a better understanding of, of what her book is about. Um, I have read her book. Maybe you've seen me post about it on Instagram. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. We have a really special guest with us today. Her name is Danielle Della Valle. She's a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, author, public speaker, nutrition education program writer, instructor, and food educator. Having worked in the food, beverage, retail, and service industries for the past 18 years, Danielle has had an invaluable experience that greatly contributes to her now profession as an NTP and associate instructor for the Nutritional Therapy Association. After Danielle transitioned into nutrition, she dove headfirst, worked in a keto clinic as a principal nutritionist, opened a private practice, wrote a book, started a podcast, became an educator, and is now speaking all over the world, inspiring nutritionists and wellness professionals. Her love to heal and be of service to others is clear when you meet her. Her heart knows no bounds. Danielle's hope is that she can work hard to help everyone feel validated and supported through every aspect of their journey to health and wellness. Danielle, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, so Danielle and I met um, on Instagram, as that's just how you meet people these days. <laughs> Um, and I had the pleasure of being on her podcast earlier this year. And so once I got my ducks in a row and was like, okay, love your bod pod is becoming a thing. I had to have her as a guest on mine. So it's so great to have you here. I'm just really grateful because even though it was like the interwebs that brought us together, it was such a kismet you know, saying because then we just have like written these books that are similar in our personalities and just like helping the world and everything. It was just perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you. So to get the interview started, I want to start with a quick little round called awkward first date questions. So I'm going to ask you some questions that I've received on first dates. And then at the end, you can add a question to the mix for our next guest. And if you don't remember a question specifically from a date, it can just be a question that you like, okay? Okay. All right. So think back to when you were a child. What did you want to be when you grew up? I would actually run around telling everyone I was going to be a pediatric cardiologist. <laughs> what? <laughs> a Wait, like a child heart doctor? Yeah, a child heart surgeon. I would literally run around and tell people that I was going to go to Stanford and I was going to become a pediatric cardiologist. So where did you even like hear that? That's a big word. I don't know. I knew really weird, big. I was very much like a mockingbird as a child. Like I would just like listen and repeat. So I heard it somewhere. Oh my gosh. That is so, that's so funny. I love it. Um, and you're kind of close, right? You're not far from that. Definitely not. I'm more in preventative healthcare now, which is actually even better because I would much rather be like to help people uh, escape heart surgery if I can. Right. Like, let me help you dodge this bullet called heart surgery by helping you. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay. So what's a, something you're super good, good at, but is a useless talent? Oh, 
That's uh, picking up other languages. But the problem is, is that I don't work in foreign language and I don't live anywhere but an English speaking country. So that's always been a useless talent of mine for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, unless you, unless you travel, right? Then it might come in handy. Well, it only travels if you go to those countries like consistently. And so when you're a wanderluster, you want to go everywhere, right? So I can only go to Norway, Mexico, and China so many times before I use up all my languages. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's still an impressive, useless talent, you know? (laughs) I'm pretty impressed. (laughs) Uh, Okay, last question. If you could have the answer to any question, what would you ask? Wow, the answer to any question. I, it's the question that we all ask, why are we here? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love it, all right. Um, now it's your turn, you get to add a question to the mix for our next guest. Okay, so I'm always a very like, I mean clearly as a nutritional therapist, I probe and I ask really intense questions and so on first dates, I was always way too intense about stuff. <laughs> And so um, I would ask the next person, what kind of mark do they feel like they want to leave on the world? That is a big first date question. (laughs) I I, I kid you not, my husband and I, our first three dates were like business interviews because he's just as intense as I am. And we would just be like, okay, what's your 10-year plan? (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously it was meant to be for you guys because you were both into that stuff, you know? Very true. It worked out. Yep. Eight years strong. So (laughs) I love it. All right. So one of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs is you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all of the difference in my life. So looking back, can you tell us about the connected dots that led you to where you are now? Absolutely. I think, I mean, that's a, it's a beautiful quote and it it stands true because in my personal practice and then also the practice that I, I have with other people is about like, don't ever look back on your life and regret because that's what led you to where you are now. And it's always an opportunity to kind of propel forward. And so I used to think working in the food industry was the worst. I was like, I'm a loser. What am I doing with my life? You know, of course, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, everyone's like, I've got this great high powered job, blah, blah, blah. But then a lot of those friends got burnt out really fast or didn't use their degrees or, you know, ended up going on to something completely different. And now I've been able to say that I have 18 years worth of this experience that has made me profoundly good at my job now. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, just this week I was, um, I, I had a video crew here that was doing curriculum content for the new curriculum we're rolling out. And I got chosen out of all of our instructors to be able to talk about the marketing with food and labeling and, you know, ingredients and everything like that. And so it was really exciting that my expertise led me to this moment to where I could not have been perfected had I not had those experiences. So I regret nothing in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so just to give us a little bit of a background of those 18 years experience, were you working in restaurants, grocery stores? Like, tell us a little bit about the food service that you did spend so much time engaging in. 
It's crazy because I tried it all. Um, the only one I never did was to become a chef because I decided to be specialty and was a professional cheesemonger. So I've worked as a barista, as a server. I've worked in hospitality and hotels. Um, I've done grocery and um, I've even done specialty grocery. There was this really, really uh, kind of like boutique place um, outside of Berkeley, California that I worked at. It was like only the wealthy people came there. They would like eat dinner and then have these like gourmet meals to go and like we serve them the best cheeses from all around and that type of stuff. So yeah, I, but specialty was where I ended my career in food before I became a nutritionist. I had kind of peaked, you know, when you're a cheesemonger at that point, you've officially peaked and you can either open your own cheese shop or become a cheesemaker. There's really no much, no more elevation after that. So yeah, I, I did it all. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so what led you from, from from that part of your life and your career to finding the education to become an NTP? Like, what was that transition like? You know, I had always been interested in just different styles of eating. I kind of had tried it all. I had tried being a vegan. I had tried, um, you know, I had done, started doing keto when I was in my early 20s. Um, I had experimented with Chinese medicine and supplements through my 20s. And, you know, so nutrition and wellness was always something that was kind of a part of my life, but it wasn't until a family friend, um, one of my mom's really close friends from childhood was an NTP and she's like, I just think that this is right for you. Mm -hmm. And I always listen to people older than me because you have to respect your elders. They know better. They have a completely different version of of you than you do. And so... Um, so I did it and I didn't know what I was doing until I was in it. And when I started the program, I realized I had been searching for that information for, I mean, my whole life. I was like, what, how did I not know that I loved functional medicine? How did I not know that there was this like whole side of me that was so deep and loved science and, um, and biology and, and every, it was just, it was like a light had turned on and it, it just totally changed my life. And I was, I, I don't like to use the word addicted when we're not talk, trying not to talk about food obsession and that type of stuff, but I became addicted to the science. And so that's why everything just kind of like fueled from there. Mm. I loved it. I loved it. I still love it. Clearly I'm an instructor now, so I'm obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you just became engulfed in everything that you were learning. Like it just was feeding you and you were feeding off of it. And yeah, more or less. It was funny because I've never been a competitive person in my life. Like, of course, we all have a little bit of that comparison syndrome when we're growing up just because we look to our peers, you know, what they're doing. Um, And I, I, I never felt like I clicked with other people because I was always into foreign language and classical music and poetry. And so it was very different from, from most people that I grew up with. But then when I found something I was good at and found something I could compete with other people with, I was like, I want to be the best. I want to be the best at this, you know, and not in a way where I like tried to make other people feel bad about it, but I wanted to consistently challenge myself every day to learn new information and you know, that's why I wrote the book and then started the podcast. I I just wanted to see like, what can I do with this? You know, and it's been Mm -hmm. so much fun doing it. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So for those of you who don't know, Danielle has a book called Happy Weight, which I've read and it's awesome. And reading it, <laughs> it's so funny. I bought her book on Amazon through a recommendation of another Instagrammer, Nadia from Body and Burdened. And I was reading it. And as I was reading it, I was like, gosh, her and I have a lot of similar ideas. And so I DM'd her on Instagram and started, you know, telling her about how much I resonated with what she was sharing. So can you just tell us a little bit about your book and why you wrote it or where the inspiration came from or what you were hoping readers would take away from it? Yeah. So I kind of, um, I started to see in my community specifically that there were only a few other references when it came to body positivity and nutrition. And I love Linda Bacon's work, but Linda Bacon's also, she's a registered dietitian. So she's not in functional medicine. So her modalities of nutrition were a little bit different. And so I felt like for my community specifically in ancestral health nutrition, that we didn't have anybody talking about these topics. And um, of course I grew up in Southern California. So I had dealt with body shame my entire childhood, you know, it was normal for girls to have eating disorders and that type of stuff. And, you know, everyone was getting plastic surgery right out of high school. And, you know, you're from LA, you, you know what that's like. It's, it's, it's definitely that, that kind of vibe of, you know, no one's ever good enough. So I always was like, okay. But then when I moved to the Pacific Northwest, I knew that that it was different. It's different up here. Literally women do not shave their legs the entire winter. And, you know, a lot of people don't dye their hair and, it was just a very different uh, uh, construct in terms of body image. And so it started to reshape my own personal image. And working at the ketogenic weight loss clinic that I did, it was a medical weight loss clinic. You know, clearly I saw that there was a very destructive narrative. Um, and that was the first time I had kind of woken up and realized that what I was doing was not something that I wanted to be a part of. Because when people think about nutrition, they always think about weight loss. And I, I had two because that's how I was raised. And then I realized that there was this whole other component and I wasn't healing people. They weren't being healed because they reached these quote unquote goals that they had set for themselves, you know, that were mandated by the contracts that we signed at the clinic. And then, but they were still emotionally, I mean, I, I don't want to use negative terms, but like they were emotionally in a place that was not healed. It was mm. not whole, you know, they didn't feel complete. They didn't feel like they had reached a goal. And that's because the emotional aspect of that goal was not attained. And so when I opened my private practice, I started switching the narrative a little bit and started to realize that I had more sustainability with my clients because we didn't talk about the scale and we didn't talk about like weight goals. And we were talking about the tests, you know, we were looking at their hormones and their microbiome and, you know, all of these other things that were actually more tangible in terms of healing and mm -hmm. using th therapeutic protocols. And we weren't restricting foods or weren't, you know, making them weigh or measure or do any of these things. And so I was like, holy Toledo, there's something here, you know, I was like, women need to know this and I can only do so many one-on-ones, you know, I need to get this out to the masses. And so of course, like anyone who goes to write a book, you have this like feeling of like, how can I? But then my husband was like, well, you can and you're going to. And, and so it just kind of happened. Sometimes you need someone else to believe in you in order for you to believe in yourself. And so it was uh, that, that moment of explosion that kind of, you know, happened. And now Happy Weight has actually gone beyond anything I ever expected. You know, all the speaking engagements and, and you know, being a part of 
working with other brands and being written into curriculum and stuff, it's, it's pretty amazing um, that this information is just desperately needed. And then, you know, it, that's the thing is like, people are like, Oh, aren't you worried that other people are part of this too? I'm like, no, everybody needs to be a part of this. There need to be 50 more books like, like your book and my book or a hundred more, 200 more that are around the world so that every woman can feel this way. And so, yeah. 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 I definitely don't think that there's a shortage of people talking about health, nutrition, and body positivity and body image and eating disorders in the ways that we're talking about them mm-hmm. or, the way, or, or the ways that other practitioners in our arena, like in our field, are talking about them. We're so disproportionately outnumbered by diet culture, by mainstream, you know, fat phobic institutionalized discrimination from doctors. And so- yeah, I love that you're like, no, spread the word, you know, <laughs> like stand on top of a mountain. Um, and I totally resonate with what you said about just needing someone to believe in you. Um, my best friend, Tristan, who she has a master's in nutrition. She's a health coach. She edited my book and checked all of my science and stuff like that. And it would have not gotten written without her being like, no, this is good. Like, keep going. Don't stop. You know, and I was like, no, I should, I should toss this out. Like, this is really bad. And she's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And it is amazing though. It is. And then thank God for Tristan because body wisdom needed to be written and it needed to be published. I mean, it was a great work. You have such a, your voice is so amazing and your personality is so just like intoxicating. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same way when I was reading Happy Weight. Gosh, can you tell us about a little bit more about like your, how your perception on weight changed? And Mm. also, was it partly your own experience with yourself or was it mostly just what you experienced in the clinic that like planted those little seeds of change? Oh, it was like my entire life because even the language I used to use was destructive. And I write about that in Happy Weight, that I was a part of conversations that were very unsavory at at certain points because I didn't realize that as, you know, the way I was raised was wrong in terms of the language that I would use to compare women or talk about women or if someone, you know, because that was the thing is if someone had gained weight, we would make comments about how their life was going in the wrong direction. And, you know, it was just like the whole worth conversation. It was definitely something that I was, was raised with. And so it was just like, I had to change my entire life. I had to change the way I, you know, I would never say these things to people. I've never been that type of person. I was never a bully. I was never a mean girl. You know, I've never, I've never looked at someone and used language that, that would make them feel bad about themselves, but that doesn't make it okay that you say it when they're not around. So I needed to change who I was in my entirety, even when I felt like I was in my most comfortable and vulnerable state and that no one was listening. I needed to be able to change my entire frame of mind. And so even for someone like myself who teaches on this subject, I'm not perfect, but I think that's what makes it good is that I know that I have been able to be the testament to the fact that I grew up a Southern California girl that used to use shaming language. And now I'm the type of person who is literally calling people out in front of them to their face when they're using that language. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable for them, but they, it's, it's time, you know, it's time for them to understand that their language is, is, uh, is unwarranted. Yeah. And just causes harm. I, I do not like that whole, like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words could never hurt me. That's like the most false 
little nerd. That's bullshit. It's, it's complete bullshit. <laughs> like words are powerful. Our, like our language is so powerful, right? Words, words leave scars and they rewire the brain. And that's, you know, shame is a big part of why people can't move forward is because of those memories they have. So yeah, words, words are powerful, man. Yes. So on your Instagram, you have several posts about your love of food. So this is something we have in common. And you said that your heart and passion in life revolves around food. What exactly do you mean? I mean, literally the thing that lights me up most in the world is food. And it always has. I've, I've always, you know, I was that kid that would overdose on pate in high school, you know? And this is why I like had no friends in high school because clearly I was I was very different, um, but yeah, I mean, I was the type of kid that could go to a college party and talk about Barolo wine and, you know, different types of cheese and true fermented sourdough bread and that kind of stuff. So like, I'm a culinary person at heart. My mm-hmm. parents were restaurant owners. They only, and they were just, my parents are snobs when it comes to food. Like I can't hide that. They will... <laughs> complain if they don't get the food they want. You know, that's just how I was raised. And so I think that's the thing is like, even, um, even if I'm anywhere, if it's a hole in the wall, you know, it's, it's about food quality for me. So I'm just the type of person, like I love flavor. I love textures. I love innovation. I love culture. I just love food. Food is why I travel. It's why I do the work that I do. It, it, mm-hmm. it literally is my, my life. You know, like my husband is obsessed with cycling, so he could spend hours in a bike shop, gag me with a spoon. But I could do the same thing at the farmer's market. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'm at the farmer's market, I literally could be there till they op- from open to close and then feel sad when it closes. And so <laughs> that's just... That's, you know, that's just, that's just my life. Like, I don't know if if you remember Beauty and the Beast when Belle is like, you know, grabbing her baguette and that kind of stuff. Like I just resonated with that so much, even though I think Disney movies have ruined women um, in terms of body image and other lifestyle issues. But I don't know. Yeah. That's so food. It literally, it is my passion. It's what drives me. It's what makes me feel creative. And um, I love everything about it. Mm -hmm. And so how does it tie into... Um, your love of nutrition and nutritional science and the biology of the human body? How are the two connected? For me specifically, I've always been the type of person that loved whole ingredients. And so when it comes to processed food, it's, um, it's really hard for me because I, I, I almost feel the pain of the denaturement of the food. And so when we talk about healing. And this is the thing is like, there's a lot of orthorexia in the wellness community. A lot of people have um, food trauma specifically from their healing journeys, which I have seen, you know, and that's, it can be debilitating because there are people with severe like bacterial infections, different diseases, autoimmunity. And so once they've healed and they can maybe start introducing other foods into their life, uh, there's a lot of trauma that's around that. And so I think the thing is, is that I, I love teaching people that there is life beyond these food traumas and that we could learn to love all foods again and love them in their whole form 
and learn about what they do for us. You know, food gives us life. That's, that's how we nurture. That's how we nourish and, and, um, and create sustenance for, for everything, for brain productivity, for our energy levels, for hormones. And so I just love the fact that just like a strawberry has different nutrients and components and polyphenols and antioxidants and all of these beautiful things that can come into the body and, and nourish us. So it's just the fact that I, you know, have this un, unwavering, unconditional love for food. And then now I know it's, it's physiological components and how it activates in the body. I think they're the perfect marriage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want to like touch on the fact that it can totally be taken to an extreme, right? Like the conversation around whole foods versus processed foods and that the fear mongering that's present in wellness culture or diet culture or the healthism or the nutritionalism of the world is very real, right? Like orthorexia is a new eating disorder classification. And it, in my opinion, is a direct result of these very far to one side opinions. Mm -hmm. And while all of that is real and we want to be mindful and respectful of it, there is absolutely an argument for the nutritional middle ground where eating a diet rich in all of these life force giving foods that you're talking about is a celebration of self-care. It's a celebration of like the circle of life and how the earth gives us food and we live on the earth and all of this stuff. And of course it can be taken too far in either direction, but that doesn't take away the fact that the food that you put in your mouth absolutely affects the, your health and your vibrancy. Yeah, I think, you know, as I've kind of come full circle in terms of my, my teaching, I, I truly believe that body love and, you know, if we're, if we're talking about truly loving our bodies, we want to nourish our body, right? And that doesn't mean we have to be 100%. And I know that that's what can happen with eating disorders specifically is it's about control, right? And so yeah. that's why they, you know, look at the macros and weighing things and, you know, counting calories and that type of stuff. But if you don't look at those at all, if you look at food, like it's not a math problem or a control problem, and you look at it as I'm honoring this food that's honoring my body and nourishing me, then it's a completely different relationship, you know? And that's the thing is like, there's pleasure from food too. And I feel like denying yourself of that pleasure is is also something that we don't want to do you know it the it's it's it, but then it gets a little tricky because then sometimes our cravings can be they can lie to us a little bit because we don't completely know about the science of our bodies um so i do like to educate people on that like what's the difference between having a true bread craving and just having yeast overgrowth inside the body and that type of stuff but right. i think i think the hard part is is that we don't if we're in a distort, disordered state we don't ever want to go near a diet that's going to be overly therapeutic because then that's going to waken up or you know yeah it's going to wake up any sort of disordered relationship we may have had previously so just just eating the food that nourishes us i think is yeah like i said just a true form of body love Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I always talk about how eating like nutrient dense foods for me is a form of self care, mm -hmm. but I always follow up that comment or that conversation with like, and also having beer and French fries with my boyfriend on the weekend is also a form of self care. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that you, 
talked about this on, I think our episode on your podcast about how like alcohol is an important part of your history of like your family roots, you know? Absolutely. Yes. And that's the thing is that like my family is very European and it's just a part of who we are. And I like to think of like, when I think of living a really long, happy, fulfilled life, I think of how have we always lived. We've always lived with community around food, with libations and enjoying each other and laughter. And that's just how I see my life. And yeah, I'm a nutritionist that drinks alcohol and eats carbs. Ooh, you know, like, ooh, I'm the devil. But you know, it's so funny because it's just, there are so many nutritionists that are out there in the community that, you know, they deny themselves because they think, they think that they're going to somehow beat the fact that we don't all make it out. Do you know what I mean? They somehow think that they're going to live to be 200, but it just doesn't work that way unless there's some sort of like magical something that happens in our lifetime. But I want to know that I look back on my life and I lived it fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. I always, there's a certain level of emotional nourishment and satisfaction that comes from enjoying your life and having a glass of wine with your family, right? That, that gives you life, right? Like, uh, that will do things for your health that like a green juice just can't. Exactly. Just you know? as long as you're not drinking when you're angry because there have definitely, <laughs> that, that does increase inflammation. But if you drink when you're happy, it's just even better. You know, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I, I don't know. I always want to be enjoying everything that I do. I don't want to look back on my life and say that I was so obsessed with being perfect about something that I missed out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically my entire 10 years having an eating disorder in a sentence, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to know, like, what are your thoughts on wellness culture being the new diet culture? So this is something that I have heard a lot of like anti-diet dietitians say. I've seen it like posted all over Instagram and I've come from wellness culture. And in a lot of ways, discovering wellness was therapeutic for me at the time because I had come from diet culture and I, I never developed orthorexia as a result of wellness culture. It actually in a way was helpful for me. And so sometimes when I hear this argument being made, I understand it to an extent, but then I'm also like, that's not a hundred percent in alignment with my experience. So I would just love to know, like, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you respond to someone with that opinion? I don't think that wellness culture is the new diet culture because I think that our, our world, unfortunately, is very sick right now. And, you know, I think this is the hard part is when we get into the disordered eating realm, that's all people see because that's all they follow. That's all they, you know, they curate and they don't realize that there are people out there living with severe autoimmunity, severe bacterial infections, severe surgical trauma, you know, neurological trauma, you know, there, there is a mass population um, that does require wellness culture. And, you know, I mean, and the lawsuit that was just lost on Monsanto for almost $300 million, the fact that glyphosate actually causes cancer, finally, you know, is getting some buzz. And so we're realizing that organics are not just a fad. And so I think it just depends, like too much of anything is going to be bad, right? Of course. So if, yes, yeah, 
So if you're following someone and you're like, oh my God, she's drinking matcha, I need to drink matcha, but you don't even know what matcha is and you haven't even researched it for your own body, you know, then, then that might be a problem. Um, but if you're like, oh my gosh, this person is eating organic, let me research that. Oh, oh my gosh, okay, organic really is a thing. Let me try and integrate that into my life. And so I think, you know, there's only 1% organic farming in the United States and that's really sad. And a majority of the meat is factory farmed. And, you know, so I think that's the thing is like, I understand that the extremism of factory farming is causing this uprising of veganism, um, but they're not entirely wrong. You know, the science is bad, but they want to stop the factory farming industry, right? So that's the thing is like, I think if we understand the bigger picture of wellness culture and what it's trying to cultivate, and that it's not just a... Um, an era of privilege that it is like literally there are urban uh, organic gardens that are going up all over cities, you know, across the United States. And especially in Detroit, there's like a huge uprising for organic urban like community gardens. And so mm -hmm. if we realize what this, this mass like seemingly obsessive culture is actually doing on a larger scale, then we wouldn't think that wellness culture is a good diet culture. We would think that there's actually something changing right um so and it could it bleeds into a lot more than people realize because the interior architecture industry actually for commercial properties just released a new certification called the well certification and that is completely building like apartment buildings and office buildings uh, completely non-toxic and so that mm. sick you know so it reduces even sick building syndrome and so, you know, so I really, I try and, and take everything with a grain of salt because I see the bigger picture. Yeah. I actually think that that's key is that we have to understand that we need to take everything with a grain of salt. We need to take everything that we read and we hear, and we need to pass it through our own personal filter and understand that one thing that works for someone else might not work for us, that we're allowed to have a difference of an opinion and that, yeah, extremes to any extent are typically problematic, right? Like there's even such a thing as drinking too much water. Yes. It can kill you. <laughs> so it's like anything that's extreme is, is totally problematic. But I definitely think that there's an argument for the nutritional middle ground. And if, if we were to look at like, okay, well, wellness culture is pushing for more non-GMOs. And then you want to say that that's problematic and GMOs are, you know, not harmful, but then you want to bring up the argument of how they're not allowed in the European Union. It's like, well, okay, where does this entire, this entire government deems these foods as problematic or not guaranteed to be safe and they don't want to feed them to their population. And so how do you bring that argument into that conversation? Like I said before, we curate these worlds that we live in and we don't understand anything outside of it. And we've gotten into a non-debative culture, which I think is problematic. Agreed. We've, yeah, we, we've gotten to this place where it's like, my voice is the only voice and if you don't follow it, then you're an evil person. And that does help with some things. It helped with the Me Too movement. It's helping with a lot of, you know, different equal and social rights, which is beneficial, you know, that we have these platforms to be able to, to stand up for the things that we believe in. But then sometimes if you only curate one idea, you miss out on finding the balance. Yeah. And so if we, and, and this, is no, this is no offense to anyone in the dis disordered eating realm because I respect the work that they do. 
But when we are a mental health therapist that specifically works with eating disorders, we only think about the mental health aspect of an eating disorder. We don't, and, and they specifically are like, all food is good food. And yes, because someone is so sick that they're about to die from the fact that their eating disorder is consuming them, absolutely, all food is good food. But when we get into a place where it's not about that anymore and we need to maintain health and we need to maintain homeostasis of the planet, you know, that we all live on, then there are larger things to consider. And so that that debate of culture does need to come in at some point. We do need to stop curating everything we see and realize that there are viewpoints out there that we need to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that both conversations have, have merit in their bubble. But they absolutely can and need to coexist because there's not a one size fits all way yes. to approach it. So that's one of the things that I we you know we've talked about this before, but I have always respected about you because you it, you honor the fact that there is a place for all of these conversations to exist and be valid and to make a difference for people. And it just depends on where you're at, right? Like it goes back to bio individuality. Like it really just depends on what's going on for you and what's going on in your life and in your body. Absolutely. And that's the thing is that no one body is going to be the same. And that's why it's really hard for me when people are saying like, this is the only way that it's supposed to be. And then a person feels like they're not getting better because they're following one specific mindset that might not work for them. And so, I mean, for anyone who's listening, if you feel like there's something in your life that isn't just clicking or you know, isn't really meeting your needs, definitely explore. There are other voices, you know, there are other places, there are other things. And sometimes it's even the people we hang out with, you know what I mean? That have just got us in this sort of like group mindset and, and it just isn't, it isn't fitting. Right. Yeah. This, that, that last comment reminds me of this woman named Tori Doobie and she was a, she's a, nutritionist, but now transformational coach and doesn't do a lot of nutrition, but she was a guest professor at my school. And she talks about how we're an ecosystem Mm. and all of the nouns in our life affect the health and the happiness of the whole ecosystem. And so she talks about how like, if you're hanging out with people that aren't lifting you up, it's absolutely going to affect your vibrancy and like how you're feeling. So you're exactly right. Like sometimes we have to take a look at everything in our immediate circle and say like, God, what is, you know, what is causing me harm? Absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, toxic relationships can be in any form. They can be your friends. They could be your family members. They could be your coworkers. Um, you know, sometimes it can even be a spouse, you know, working with clients. I have seen divorces happen because, Sometimes we, you know, we change and we become different people. We evolve. And so if you ever feel like somebody is a hindrance to the things that you're trying to say yes to, sometimes it's good to take a break from those people. Boundaries are key in life. (laughs) They are essential for existence. And I had to set boundaries uh, in, in two states away. You know, I had to leave California, move to Washington to set some boundaries, you know? And so not everybody has to do that. But yeah, we definitely need to realize that if someone is negating us, we're going to start to believe that and we're going to stop believing in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we may have kind of already answered this question, but on the road to like healing your relationship with food and learning to accept and trust your body, what were some of the key things that really made a difference for you? on this journey to like feeling really like a whole person? Mm. 
Well, for me, it always comes back to my reptilian brain, my, my little baby amygdala, you know, that part of our limbic system that is where our trauma is rooted. Um, I am a very much an affirmation person. And I know some people think that that's crap, but it's not when we specifically use mantras to, uh, to go through different parts of our life, we can reset that part of our brain. And, but we have to, it can't just be words we say to ourselves. It has to be words with actions as well. So like, Mm. I'm saying this, but I'm also doing this. I'm saying this, but I'm also doing this. And that was the case for a couple of things in my life. But specifically, I went on my food freedom trip last October. We went to Hong Kong and Bali. And that was the first time I'd eaten gluten, I think in like six years. And yeah, yeah, it was intense, but that's because that was a big part of my healing journey was to take gluten out of my diet because that's what made me very, very ill, um, mentally ill, uh, for a long time. And so when I took it out, healed my gut, I felt, you know, everything, you know, came full circle. I felt better and I wanted to eat dim sum when I was in Hong Kong, of course, you know, you don't travel 14 hours, you know, to, to be in the land of dim sum and not eat it. And, um, unless that's your shtick, which is totally fine, you can, but I wanted to, I was like, my gut is healed. I've got these super strong, like, uh, gluten enzymes I could take. And so but the whole time I had to talk myself into it, I have to be like, you're going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. This is not a big deal. Like you're in this place, enjoy your life. And I had to give myself permission. And so when you get that sort of like permissive green light and also kind of talk yourself into these things, then when you do it and you realize nothing bad happened, then you're like, oh, I'm fine. I got this. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Okay. So affirmations was huge for you. Yes. And then affirmations with action is really where the change and the transformation sticks. You have to. Because that's the thing is that in order for the amygdala to rewire itself, it has to be a sort of muscle memory. We We have to live a new action in order to rewire the past trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's incredible. So that makes sense then why continuing to practice affirmations and continuing to practice new relationships with food. So practice counteracting that diet mentality of the food police in your brain, continuing to practice slowing down while you're eating and telling yourself, that it's okay, that the, you know, this food is okay. You're allowed to eat this food and doing that, like that repetition is what leads to those long-term results. And, and so it's not just to have this argument of like consistency, but here's a lot of science for why like, no, this is actually, this is how the brain works. Being consistent with this will give you the results that you want, but you can't just like do it once and hope, you know, no, you can't. The brain is smarter than that. <laughs> so it's, it's the thing about the limbic system, though. The limbic system specifically works, you know, with our proprioception. And so we have to live it. We have to live this new existence in order to rewire that, that you know, past trauma. And it's the same thing with any sort of like PTSD or secondary PTSD, any sort of shame, guilt, or any relationship with our body, ourself, you know, the things in our surroundings, we have to act on them. And one time is not going to do anything. It needs, it needs to be a practice. And, you know, that's, that's the hard part is that a lot of people just want to get better, but we have to do the work. Mm. Maybe that's why we like diets. (laughs) In 30 (laughs) days, your life will change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, I, and I'm not, I don't want anyone to think that I'm like talking crap about any specific diet. I just think that like 
30 days is not enough. We have to like continue practicing whatever we're doing, right? In order for it to stick, in order for us to really embody this change. Even for something therapeutic though, it didn't take me 30 days to heal my gut. It took me years. Yeah, right. Of every day, you know, making sure that I was doing all the things I needed to do in order to to heal what had happened. So yeah. 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 So it sounds like any type of real healing, you know, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, just takes time. It does take time. It takes a lot of time. And, but that's the beauty of it because then once it's there, it is, it becomes who you are in the best possible way. Yeah. 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 I loved, I loved what you just shared with us. That was awesome. I loved that you had the science to back it up. Um, and I think that we could all see that in our own lives of like how that's applicable. Yeah. Okay. Love. So we're about out of time. One last question. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Wow. (sighs) That you are not a failure. Everything you're doing is totally normal. And stop wasting your time on boys. That's good (laughs) advice. (laughs) Oh, I had to kiss a lot of frogs before I met my prince. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I think... I totally relate to that. I don't even know if it was like I had to kiss a lot of frogs. I just was looking for validation from men because I was taught that, right? Like I was raised to think that that was the best thing that a girl could be was desirable to the male gaze, you know, appeasing to the male gaze. And so, yeah, that's good advice. It's exactly the case because, you know, I grew up in a very traditional um, Catholic family. And so they were trying to marry me off as soon as they possibly could. And jokes on them, I didn't get married till I was 30, uh, you know, on my own accord. And so it was just one of those things that, yeah, I was seeking validation through, through somebody else instead of myself. And so I would have tried to tell my 20-year-old self, like, find validation in who you are because you're perfect exactly the way you are. Yeah, I love it. Oh, Danielle, it was such a pleasure to talk with you today. Where can everybody find you? You, well, uh, can find me on Instagram. So Danielle Delavalley NTP or the same thing, DanielleDelavalley.com. Um, or you can go on Amazon and get happy weight and yeah. Uh, yes, please go check her out. And if you are at all slightly curious about happy weight, totally recommend you go pick up a copy. Always a pleasure. And thank you so much, Kara. Yeah. We'll see you on the gram, my friend. Yay. (laughs) Wasn't that so great? I just adore Danielle. She's Fantastic. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. Please let me know, you know, hit me up on Instagram, leave a ratings and review in iTunes. Um, You still have a chance to enter in to win that giveaway. Um, So if you leave a ratings and review on iTunes, you will be entered in to win one of two giveaways. I'm going to be doing five winners because five is my favorite number. So very scientific way to decide I'm going to pick five winners. And uh, you will be entered into either win admission to my Break Free from Binge Eating online course, or you will have the other option of a one-on-one coaching session with me. And that's the bulk of what I do. I work one-on-one and in groups with my clients. So you'll have an opportunity to choose one of those two prizes by entering in the giveaway. And you do that by leaving a ratings and review on iTunes. Okay. Thank you guys so much. I will see you all next week.